everybody, and welcome to True Stories of Tinseltown, and I have a really, really fun show for us today, or I don't know if it's fun, yeah, it's fun, it's going to be a fun show, but tragic in some ways that the person we're talking about, and we're going to be talking about Linda Darnell, and I am going to be talking to Janet, who has the most wonderful uh, classic Hollywood blog. Her name is Assista Celluloid. Hey, sis, Janet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Grace. How are you? <laughs> Good. I'm so glad you're coming on and to talk about Linda because uh, I was looking for Linda. And I, you know how I found you? Before I started doing my podcast, I was thinking of doing a classic Hollywood blog. So mm-hmm. I was, you know, and I was reading everybody's blogs and I bookmarked the ones I really liked. And I booked Mark you, but I hadn't been looking at my blogs for a while, you know, you know, because I've been trying to do everything else. And just the other day or a couple weeks ago, I was going through and I hit on you and there was Linda Darnell. And I said, there she is. Yes. And I love the article. And of course, I loved your blog because I loved it long ago. And then I started reading more stuff and you guys will love it. You're going to have to go there. I will link you up when we are done. But anyhow, um, how did you get into classic Hollywood, young lady? I got into classic Hollywood at a very, very early age. Um, both of my parents were movie buffs. And um, I had a lot of sort of uh, illnesses when I was little, so I was up late a lot. Um, and I loved old movies, so I would just sit up with my dad and watch old movies and then go to school, you know, bleary-eyed the next day. Um, and uh, fortunately, in New York especially, there were tons of channels that had old movies. And also Channel 13, which was the, is, is the public television yeah. station showed tons of old British movies. They showed Preston Sturgis movies. I was like, Joel McRae was my imaginary husband when oh, I was like eight years old. Oh, so cute. Oh, oh. my God. Hubba, Good Lord. Holy, holy mother of God. <laughs> yes, sister. Um, and um, so both my parents were, were, were sort of, sort of, I, I, they, it was like a second generation addiction, I think, from my, from my parents. And um, so then when I, when I, ostensibly grow up, at least chronologically, um, and decided that I, you know, I really wanted to write about it because it's sort of like extending the escapism. Like first you watch the movie and then the movie's over, but now you're going to write about it. So you're sort of reliving the movie again. <laughs> like, it's a way of continuing to escape reality that I find was really effective. <laughs> it is. And I love it. Are you kidding? I don't have to read about anything. I get. I read about people who've been dead Years and years and years. Exactly. So well, he, people always tease me because sometimes I'll write about male actors and I and I just go gaga for them. Me too. And a friend of mine said to me once, you know, what, well, how does your husband feel about this? And I said, well, all of his competition is dead. I know, exactly. So he's fine. Well, that's what someone said to me. He said, Grace, you live your life in black and white. Yes. <laughs> and I really, yes. maybe Technicolor every once in a while. Occasionally you know? Technicolor, yeah. yeah. And again... Somebody said, every movie you watch, but I do watch some modern movies. I'm not going to say I don't. No, I but, do too, yeah. But my fave films are classic films. And yes. It, and it's like the same. I call them my dead dream boats. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so many are so gorgeous. And, you know, I want to do a series on not dead dream boats, but, dream, you know, dream boats <laughs> of classic Hollywood. Because yes. I did a blonde bombshell one, and that was my, one of my favorite series I did with my friend April, and I loved it. Anyway, mm-hmm. your blog is wonderful, and let's get on to Linda. Linda. The sweeter girl never lived. And that's, you know, it's I, one of the reasons that I 
that I use that as the as the headline of my article is, first of all, the quote came from from Henry Hathaway, who's the last person you would think of saying something like that. Because yes, he's like the most grizzled man in uh, in classic Hollywood, but also because I wanted I wanted to I didn't want it to be a tragic piece. You know what I mean? There, there's a lot of tragedy in her life and there's a lot of sadness, but I didn't want, there's such a, she had such a spirit and such a general, genuine sweetness that I wanted that to, to be a big part of the story because I remember when the, I first heard about her when I was little and, you know, the first movie I saw her in, you know, you're just dazzled by, by the, she's just stunning. And I remember my mom, the first thing my mom told me about her was the fire. Yes, was me about too. the fire. And, so then she's like a victim right out of the gate, you know, and I sort of wanted to, you know, bring out a lot of other aspects of her personality in her life that that just to show what what an incredible spirit this woman was. And, and yes, you know, she had she had a horrible fate, but yes. there was so much more to her than that. And I yes. and I, you know, that's one of the things I try to do with my with my blog generally is to sort of um, show aspects of people that. You know, to sort of get away from the the one thing that pops into everyone's mind when they hear about X or Y. Yes. Um, and to just get past that and, and really talk about them as human beings. Yeah, because it's like they have a lot of these things. And with Linda, they'll have some things here and there, but it does say stuff about her death. Mm-hmm. And that's basically her whole thing that they do. Yeah. Yeah, ninety percent of the coverage is about how you know her horrible, her horrible death. And it was my mom. And it was. Oh, when we were watching, I think we were watching Best Years of Our Lives, and I wasn't really, you know, I really became really into it when TCM came out, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Whoa, I'm in heaven here!" Right. And um, we were watching Best Years of Our Lives, and there was Robert Walker, and Mom told me he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing. But he didn't commit suicide. That's what everybody thought no, happened there was to a, him. No, there was a drug interaction, that right. weird drug interaction. Yeah. But I didn't find out till years later. And that was the right. thing when I thought of him. Oh, he committed suicide. Yeah. So this is what people remember. And I don't right. want to remember that. So I get it 100%. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a piece about James Dean. To, and, and so many people uh, emailed me and, and messaged me and said, I... You mean he wasn't responsible for the crash that killed him? And I'm, no, he wasn't. No, a if car you really came from another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a car came in the wrong direction and smashed into him. Um, but everybody thinks, you know, he was just a speed demon who must have just, you know, sped his way to a, to an early grave, and that's not what happened. Did you see so, the thing he put out? I'm sorry, I didn't like, mean to No, go ahead, please. You. Did you see the, the public service thing he did with Gig Young about yes. not being hot? And it, it came out maybe two weeks before he died, and ironically, right. Gig Young was a massive major alcoholic. And he, oh, yes. He had a, tra- you know, tragedy plus that we won't get yeah. into, but boy, oh boy. And that yeah. was so creepy to me in a way. So sad. Yeah, and so I mean sad. the thing about the thing about people like James Dean, who who who, and you know Paul Newman and other people who love racing, is that they they're incredibly responsible drivers because they have to be. <laughs> yes. If you're if you're operating a vehicle at that speed, you have to be uber observant and responsible. Yeah. So they're those are the last people that you would expect. The last people generally who get into crashes on the road because they see everything. So sad. Yeah. Okay. The first, want to read the first quote of Linda, and then you can just kind of say that. I love that, and it's so sad. Yeah. The f- the first quote in my piece. Right. 
Okay, let me go to that because I... Actually, you have it open, but I know. Oh, okay, when she says, um, at 32, I can see telltale marks in the mirror, but the ravages of time no longer terrify me. I am told that when surface beauty is gone, the real woman emerges. Now, she said this when she was 32. And By the time she was 32, she was A, she was still stunning, and B, her movie career was essentially over. I know. Because nineteen, when she was 32, she was, it was 1955. So creepy. So, I mean, she, here she was thinking that she was about to emerge into a whole new aspect of her career where she, where, where people would focus on things other than her beauty. And by then she was basically, she had been cast aside by Hollywood. Uh, but it, it also tells you something about how hopeful she still was. You know, this was not someone who sat around and felt sorry for herself. This was someone who, who looked at, looked at the, looked at a, the aging process as, as a way to grow as an actress rather than just to just, you know, That's look so in the rare. mirror and say, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. Right. You know, I don't have my looks anymore or my looks aren't what they were. Because um, she but was that, so I mean, she was very, she was very spirited. She, very, she didn't sit around and feel sorry for herself. Um, when her movie career faded, she joined um, uh, community theater and, and dinner theater and, and went around the country acting and did and got excellent reviews. I mean, she really did a, did a fine job and and she was not someone again who sat around and thought oh you know my 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 glory years are behind me you know poor me yeah she didn't get tw- tons of work done and like poor no. Hetty Lamar she had all this horrible work done and then she just kind of even blocked her own children from seeing her late right. in her later years right but and like, there's someone I mean talk about ironic someone who had so much more going for her than her yes. beauty but unfortunately that's what she she was always told she was so and she was so beautiful just like yeah. Linda but like you said Linda had you know she wanted to get deeper I mean her whole life she was told how beautiful and this and that and you know that that's a lot to live up to and that is just, a lot to live up to and it, it really sort of it you know it 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 does sort of mar the fact that or cover up the fact that she really had she really was a was a good actress she was you know and if other people if they can't get past her beauty that's their issue that's not hers no i just love her okay why don't you tell us um how she ended up getting to hollywood well that's where mother pearl comes in (laughs) she had the mother of all stage mothers uh mother pearl uh when before Linda was born, had actually gone on a trip. She actually, and this is actually the case with a lot of stage mothers. She wanted to be a star, and she had gone to Hollywood on a vacation and became completely mesmerized by the town. She'd gotten a role as an extra in a movie. She came back to Dallas, and that was all she talked about was this trip to Hollywood. And I'm sure she just bored her friends to distraction hearing these tales over and over again. I mean, imagine coming home from a two-week vacation, and that's all you talk about for the rest of your life. I know that's, that's sad. You know, that's a little grim. Yeah. Um, and then when Linda was born, who was born, her actual name was Manetta, and her family called her Tweedles, which I think is adorable. Very um, Tweedles. She was gorgeous from the time she was a child, and uh, her mother entered her into all kinds of beauty pageants and talent contests, and actually tried to get her, and actually did sort of finagle her into a studio gig at Fox when Linda was 14 uh, by lying about her age. Well, that's like Betty Grable, too. Betty was mm-hmm. 14. They found out her mom's a pushy broad and mean. Oh, in classic yeah. Hollywood blonde, blonde, blonde shells we did. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had that kind of mom too. And then yeah. they found out her age, and then she had to wait a few years. But you know, yeah, so, yeah. Linda got shipped home as well. Linda got shipped home after doing screen tests where she kissed every leading man on the Fox lot, and she was fourteen. Oh man! So they were they were slightly horrified when they realized that she was fourteen, uh, and they sent her home and um, told her to come back in a couple of years. And of course, you know, there was Pearl. You could almost see Pearl. Xing out the days on the calendar until <laughs> Linda's 16 and um, sent her out again. And uh, she did a screen test. Her first starring, well, her first role was in was in Hotel for Women when she was 16. The other thing that's interesting about about her career is that I always I always look at Linda Darnell and in, in, when I look at her and her roles, I can't picture anyone else in that part. I know. She was so unique. She was so unique. And yet... At least half of her early roles, she was the second choice for, <laughs> which was really kind of, you know, you would think someone would look at Linda Darnell and just yank her by the arm and say, you're going to be in my movie. Yeah, let um, me make you a star. Exactly. Yeah. But she was actually the second choice for um, for a lot of her roles, which was kind of, you know, you would her first two roles were actually supposed to be for uh, Loretta Young, uh, Hotel for Women. Uh, Loretta balked at the salary and daytime wife. She didn't want to take second billing to Tyrone Power. So um, both of those roles went to Linda and she was terrific. And and of course, in the first the first couple of roles, all anyone could talk about in the reviews was was her beauty. Um, So that was, you know, that's a little, you know, off putting when you when that's all they focus on. I mean, Tyrone Power was stunning. He was a but oh, if you look at, beauty too. He was just he was like heart stoppingly beautiful. Young, yes. But when you look at the reviews of his early movies, people just don't talk about how handsome he is. They no. talk about his acting. Yeah. And yet with Linda, predictably, all they could talk about was how gorgeous she was. Um she co-starred Tyrone Power was her favorite actor. I don't now picture her. picture who picture yourself as a six as a sixteen year old girl. You've got pictures of your favorite actor plastered on your walls. Fast forward a month, and you're co-starring with him in a movie. How old was he? He was uh, in his 30s. He was about, I think he was 36, and she was 16. He might have been earlier, in his early 30s, but she was 16. Yeah. And um, there she is all of a sudden taking history classes in the morning on the lot, and then starring with... Tyrone Power in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, Warren Williams. Was I mean, the movie with Warren William. Yeah, yeah, and Warren William, who was like, you know, who I just is the king of pre-code. Oh, I love um, him. Pre-code. So it's she's sending off Warren William in the same movie that she's kissing, kissing Ty Power, and uh, and she was just, she was adorable. I mean, she was just absolutely adorable. And um, some, it's it's funny because in some in some scenes. She looks 16. There are certain scenes where she doesn't have all of her war paint on, and you're like, she's a baby. You know, this is a, this is a, this is a girl. Um, but she was absolutely adorable. Ty Power loved her. Um, there were times when she got very nervous and flubbed her lines, and he would flub his lines to sort of cover for her. Um, they remained friends until his death. And, um, and he was only 44, I think, when he died. He was, yes. He was, he was, a, he was a baby. And um, they just, they absolutely loved each other. Uh, she used to do pastels. She was, she was, she was a gifted artist. 
and she would do pastels of her co-stars. And I mean, what I would give to see these, you know, she did pastels of Ty Power during breaks on, on Daytime Life. I mean, imagine, like, what would you give to see these, these, oh, I'd these love pictures, it. you know? Um, but that was, that was her start was in, was Hotel for Women was the first film when she had a little bit of a smaller role, but they actually beefed it up. Um, and this is another classic Hollywood trope. Uh, uh, Joan Blundell ha- was having uh, contract issues at the time. So they beefed up Linda Darnell's part to sort of punish Joan Blundell because, you know, classic Hollywood move to sort of like diss one actress, but, you know, yeah, promote no. another actress. You know, it's like... It was really me. Have them constantly at each other's throats. Right. And... That, and I heard that she, she well, didn't she stand up? She was like a bridesmaid for Lana Turner. And yes. Ann Miller was one of her best friends. But mm-hmm. she also, one thing you didn't mention, and speaking of Loretta Young, was in 1943, she played the lady in the song of Bernadette. And allegedly, Loretta wanted the role of the lady, but she didn't uh-huh. get it because, you know, Loretta, Catholic. Yeah, Loretta church, was the, the, the classic day. part-time Catholic, except right, when she exactly. was having affairs with married, married men. men. Yeah. <laughs> Children out of wedlock, pretending <laughs> yeah. they're not really a Exactly. Child. I mean, I said I was a bad Catholic. Good Lord. <laughs> Me too. I'm a Catholic. I'm a, I'm a saint. I, I'm not the lady, but boy. I know. Compared to Loretta Young, we should have halos. <laughs> I know. Uh, so the song of Bernadette. So she played the lady who was actually, of course, um, as my mother would say, well, uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, or as my mother would say, the blessed mother. So, Holy Mary, mother of God. Right. So but <laughs> it was funny. She was just so, you know, it was so, what was it, like gauzy? And you could see the, and, but it wasn't her voice, but it was no. Linda. And allegedly, they did, uh, Loretta was really angry because she thought that Linda was a party girl. But I, I knew Which she is was ridiculous. Right. Yes. And, and Loretta, come on. You know, she had affairs yeah. with so many. Well, um, my favorite Loretta story, which which actually one of her one of her uh, relatives told me, was that um, when she was when she was having an affair with Spencer Tracy, she she consulted with a priest about what to do. And the priest said, you know, this is wrong. You must stop this. <laughs> so she found another priest. <laughs> I love that story. I never heard. That's a great one. Yes, but do you know this? She went went priest shopping so she could have an affair with a married man. Yes. It's so funny because I did think on uh, Jane Russell. And Jane, you know, they had their own church. And she Mm -hmm. had um, frequently chats with uh, Jesus or God. I don't know. Maybe both. And um, (laughs) she was having an affair on her husband. And... Um, God told her it was okay. (laughs) I don't, maybe Jesus told her it was okay and God wasn't cool with it. Yeah. I mean, she remembered word for word her conversations with Jesus. That's so convenient. I know. But he said, hey, baby, do it. Go for it. Wow. I knew, wow. I knew, I knew Jesus was cool, but wow. Yeah. I love the water into wine. That was his first miracle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, how can you not love this man? I adore him. He must have been great. Anyway, so at that time, off screen, she meets, well, she knew this guy for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. She gets married. Correct? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she married, uh, she married Pev Marley, who was uh, a, a cameraman, cinematographer uh, on the set. He was one of the first men she met when she came to Hollywood. Um, 
her, her actual father had been sort of absent on the scene, or actually sort of, I guess, browbeaten into the I'm ground sure by, by her, by Pearl. Yeah. Um, and Pev was a very strong father figure. Um, he was, I believe, 44, uh, and she was 16. Or 19. And um, she was well, she, when they met, she was 16. Oh, yikes. Because they met when she first, I mean, he was like the first person she met, and she used ah, to. He was her pal. She used to, when she was nervous about, you know, when she had done a day's work and she was nervous and she was sort of second-guessing herself, and she would go sit in his car and wait for him, and he would give her all kinds of advice and everything. Um, they were very meticulous. They did not have you know, any sort of relationship before she was of age. That was um, one thing in his favor. Uh, but she was very devoted to him, and she, he was giving her all kinds of guidance. And he was actually a really helpful friend and should have just stayed a helpful friend. Right. Um, but she, you know, I think I think for one thing, she was just desperate to get away from Pearl. And the thought of just going off and, and living on her own uh, without the excuse of, oh, well, I'm married now, so I'm leaving, um, was not an option that she, she thought was possible. So as far as she, in her own mind, the only way to escape Pearl was to get married. And Pev was there. Pev was reliable. He was supportive. He was experienced. You know, he knew the business. Um, and she was genuinely deeply fond of him. So they got married. Uh, that did not sit well with the studio. Uh, to have their their ingenue married to this man who was old enough to be her father. Yeah. She had already, um, she was already sort of in Daryl Zanuck's bad books because she didn't want to go into the lovely bedroom suite behind his office. Um, so she was already in his bad books for that. Th- these guys are such slime. You know, I was oh, yeah. talking about, uh, I don't know, again, Carol Landis. She had like an afternoon break with one of these dudes it might have been him and uh-huh. um you know a break he she'd have her come in and then she'd leave yeah. and um that was she was a very troubled woman i did yes, i had was. a really i interviewed a biographer and he, he was great um so he was also a heavy duty drinker yes yeah, so, well, he's the one who got her started on alcohol yeah um to relax her what he used to do is give her a shot uh, and tell her to just gulp it down quickly and then, you know, follow it with a glass of water. Yikes. So that's, you know, I mean, I, ugh, that's just the thought of doing that, actually, because it makes, gives me the shivers. Yeah. But, yeah, so he was not, he was not helpful in, in a lot of ways. Um, ultimately, he also extorted her for for $125,000 after she was, um, she, she had uh, started an affair with Mankiewicz, Joe Mankiewicz. yeah. How, you and, know, these women and these men, there were so many of these guys who really, you know, screwed over their wives. Not just, mm-hmm. I don't mean it in a literal term of whatever, sex, but I mean just messed up with their finances. These women trusted these men. But mm-hmm. she also had a business manager who she found out who took like over a hundred grand from her as well. Yes, he went to yeah, jail. She had, she had initially had a really good yeah. business manager who who died, and, um, and then she ended up getting getting finding one who was a classic Hollywood grifter, um, and then she had to pay one hundred twenty five dollars to Pev uh, upon their divorce, or he threatened to make her affair with Joe Mankiewicz public. How sweet, huh? Uh, Thanks. And I'm Dad. sitting there thinking, you know. 
why would you know? I I, I would have. I'm 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 thinking he could have. He should have gotten the money out of Mankiewicz because Mankiewicz had a lot more money yeah. than Linda did. Yeah, um, they adopted but, a baby, correct? Yes, they did. Lola, is she still alive? I don't know if Lola's still alive. I was actually looking looking for her recently. Um, she she lived in she and her husband lived in Pennsylvania, and I've actually sort of been trying to find her. She would be um, in her eighties now. Oh wow, she was born then, yeah. Uh, yeah. And but that was Linda's true joy was adopting it was, her it was. child. And it was absolutely you have pictures of her with her daughter. And then I you know, I looked up they have so many beautiful pictures of Linda. And with her baby, she looks so natural and so She's happy. just glowing. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And she looks wonderful. Yeah. Um so he he got mad months after Oh, so she didn't have um you know, the war started, Pearl Harbor. Uh, the Ty- war started. Yeah, Tyrone joined the Marines, and then yes. her career kind of went fluffed. Yeah, it's a, it, it was a couple of things that happened. Um, part of it was was that they were not happy with her marriage. Um, part of it was that they sort of underestimated her talent, and they thought that she was just, uh, you know, this pretty face, and they didn't really know what to do with her beyond ingenue roles. And part of it was that they. Um, you know, she wouldn't sleep with Daryl Zanuck. I mean, that really was an they, issue. They were vicious with that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, really they were. spiteful, they were. mean, yeah. despicable little worms. Let yeah, me they make were. It clear, they were. And it says here that, but she threw herself into the war effort, selling she bonds, did. working for the Red Cross, taking frequent ships at the Hollywood Canteen. Imagine how yes. these guys must have been woo-woo. Also studied to become a nurse's aide with Ann yes. Miller and ran mm-hmm. a daycare center for women working at war plants. What a gal. Yes. Yeah, she really, I mean, you know, this was, there was so much to this person. You know, there was, there was just so much to this woman that, that um, that I wanted to get out there because she really was a just, she was a very, you know, even at a young age and even when she was in this very narrowly focused business, she was, she had so many dimensions to her. She was a real person. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't someone who just went out to Hollywood and got, got, you know, cranked into the machine like sausage. Yeah. And she and, was um, a lovely woman. I see some guy faint. <laughs> it's so cute. when she I know said, the guy fainting is hilarious. <laughs> And I mean, if you look at one of the things, um, the people you can always, you can always, you can always sort of tell the character of the people in Hollywood by what crew what the crew says about them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Fo- one of the gate men at Fox said that she was never anything but a lovable girl. Uh, Ruben Namulian, who's another certainly not a crew member, but another sort of hard bitten Hollywood director, and I, I absolutely love this quote. He said um, she was like spring. Young, sweet, and innocent, the whole crew behaved differently when she was on the set. There was a kind of innocence about her that was enchanting. And I just, you know, to hear this this sort of hard-bitten director sort of just turned to jello, talking about what a lovely person she was. Um, Her hairstylist, who ended up traveling with her quite a bit, said said that working with Linda Dernal was the highlight of her time at Fox. Um, She was just, she was one of those, and as I, I, I really think you can tell a lot about the character of a person by by how they treat people who definitely uh, who can't give them anything no <laughs> so. and who who you know they can really like get rid of i don't want yes. you here or do anything yeah it's like yeah the people much, that they have power over yeah. you know it's like the people who's in, in the restaurants who snap their fingers for waiters it's mm-hmm. like it's loathsome you know it's loathsome i know it's just a horrible thing and i i used to i 
because when I first moved here at 20, you know, I wanted, I, I studied acting and came here. And, you know, everybody gets a job generally when you're doing that. You get a job mm-hmm. as a waitress or a waiter. Right. Nobody ever snapped at me, but they would snap at the busboys, and I would go back to them like this. And they say, yeah. we don't snap here. No. <laughs> I was 21. No. Oh, go, girl. Anyway, she all of a sudden gets this role um, that she's devil and at times angelic and perfectly fascinating. She's a she-devil, the Russian girl to give me a new start, a new start at 21. Yes, and that's exactly. I mean, that's you know, there's 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 sort of a, a thumbnail of of what Linda Donnell's life was like was that she had her comeback at 21. Isn't um, that amazing? That that's yeah. just kind of creepy. Yeah, you know, when I was 21, I was you know drinking in my dorm room and <laughs> <laughs> well, I was waitressing, doing other things, trying exactly. to do like, you know, partying. Yeah, yeah, you know. Like, meanwhile, yeah. she's she's launching her second Hollywood career at 21. And then but yeah, she was, she was, and interestingly, I mean, it's funny because Summer Storm, if, I mean, if I tell you that it was based on a Chekhov novel, uh, the first director that pops to mind will probably not be Douglas Sirk. No, not at all. I was shocked to read that. But, um. He's great, everybody. You know, all his movies yeah. are just so wonderful. Yeah. But he was, you know, she, she loved that movie and she, and that really did show, I mean, she, she had sort of been the been the sort of glowing ingenue up until then and she really wanted to sink her teeth into that part and she did an absolutely fabulous job i never and saw also, that film i have never seen it well i, I was just going to say that if you want to see it it's on youtube oh yeah definitely so everyone out there who wants to see linda linda's first bad girl role uh just go on to youtube and it's, it's actually a pretty decent print too which i was surprised about so Definitely sink your teeth into that if you yes. want to see a good Linda role. And then next came, and this is one of my favorites, this is in Letter to Three Wives, Fallen Angel. And she oh, Fallen Angel. is amazing. She comes She's in absolutely there, amazing. What a, you know, you know, just kind of a rough kind of definitely girl from the other side of the tracks, working as a waitress, poor pops in love with her. And she yeah. just commands the screen the first second she comes into that diner and pops off her shoes and rubs her weary dogs. Mm-hmm. And she, Dana Andrews called her the best thing about the movie. Well, she was great. And, she was. And she was only in it basically half. And this is mm-hmm. a Tinseltown tidbit that... This was supposed to be a big thing for Alice Faye. She had yes. been the musical sensation, but she wanted mm-hmm. a drama, and they promised her a drama. And so when this, when she saw the final cut, they had taken out so much of her role, her part, and it, you know, obviously they were highlighting Linda, and mm-hmm. she left after she finished it got in her car, and never went back to the studio nope. again. She threw, she threw her keys to the man at the gate. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> in a classic Hollywood dramatic move. Well, this is and, good... uh, and stalked off into the night. Good for her. Um, but, I, you know, Linda, yeah. she couldn't help it. I mean, she just... No, I mean, she had, read, she had read and rejected 30 scripts before this one of dramatic roles, hoping to get, hoping to change her image and get away from the musical comedy and do something. And she thought this would be the next Laura. She, you had Otto Preminger directing. Um, whom Linda hated. Whom Linda ter- was terrified of and ended up having to work with four times. Um, 
But yeah, Alice Faye thought this was going to be her big break, and then they started looking at the rushes in the studio, and and you know, and and seeing that basically, you know, Linda Darnell, you know, the film would burst into flames every time Linda Darnell <laughs> would come amazing. on the screen. And, and she, um, yes, and also this is a little tidbit um, from Dana Andrews' biographer, and Dana um, Dana Andrews' daughter told him this that uh, when they were making the movie, Alice Faye. Uh, when it, you know they you know Dana was an alcoholic, terrible alcoholic. Yes. She would call him drunk after you know off business hours at home, and you know kind of like, "Hey, baby." Complain. <laughs> no, oh, she Lord. wouldn't complain. She had the hots for Dana. Oh my god! And when she got oh, drunk, dear. she would call him. She didn't complain. No, she she complained that he wasn't you know gonna. Oh heavens! Do right me, yeah. So that was that was a good oh heavens to Murgatroyd. I know. <laughs> I'm a dr- drunken Randy Allen Alice Bay on the other end of the phone. That would be that's kind of scary. Yeah, but he, you know he didn't take her up on the offer. But no. um, but it was funny because you don't think of her being right. no, you don't think of her being that way at all. Of course, if you're married me? to Phil Harris, you might really? well, <laughs> like, you know. And suddenly you think you might have a chance at Dana Andrews. You, you know, you're going to pick up that phone. You know, but I didn't think Alice was bad in the role at all. I really don't. I didn't either. I, thought I didn't she either. I thought she was sweet. very likable. And, yes, likable. Um, you know, when and she's yeah, and when she's reading that poem to him at the end about you know about the fallen angels, right. and it was extremely touching. And I think that you know, I think that very well could. I think it did show a completely different side of her. And I don't know why she didn't, you know, use that as a jumping off point I think rather it than was, sort of just huffing off into the, into the night. But I think when it's supposed to be your vehicle, I think any yes. of us, and you've given so much to the studios right. and they promise you, you're going to get this chance. And mm-hmm. I mean, if they didn't cut a role, I'm sure she wouldn't have, but they mm-hmm. cut it down really mm-hmm. a lot. And, you know, they knew, she knew Linda was going to be like, oh, everybody's going to be like dreaming over Linda. And she yeah. was not. So, yeah. you know, that, but she was wonderful. I like the three of them in it. And actually, I watched it last night for about the 99th time. Yeah. I love that movie. It is a great movie. And then she, Forever Amber, that was her next. Yes. Again with Preminger. And this was also like a highly coveted role. This was a, this was everyone, and this was sort of the the Scarlett O'Hara of the of the forties. Right. Everyone wanted to be Amber, uh, and uh, it was originally uh, Peggy Cummins. Originally was cast as as Amber, and they shot a lot of footage with her. And um, Zanuck hated it so much that he actually ordered it burned. <laughs> I mean, ouch! <laughs> really, they've gone yeah. crazy. Pow, pow, pow. Yes, pow. and again, this was uh, this. Yeah, if he'd known the potential that Peggy Cummins has, he might not have been so mean to her. Yeah, but um, but um, this is another role. Where, another case where Linda was not the first choice for the role, and so she stepped in uh, after Peggy Cummins was let go, and uh, initially. Um, uh, I believe it was John Stahl was supposed to direct the film. Wow. And Linda went into the film thinking the John Stahl was, yes. The gun crazy also guy. Director. <laughs> no, no, that's John Dahl. This is Stahl, S-S-T-A-H-L. Oh, Stahl? I was going to say yeah. him? Wow. No, <laughs> that would have been funny, though. But um, I was watching Rope, too, recently. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so basically... John Stahl was the, was the assigned director when Linda started, and imagine her excitement when Otto Preminger took over. 
Her dream boat. Uh, her dream boat. And Cornell Wilde had also worked with Preminger previously and loathed him so much that he tried to get out of the movie when Preminger came on as a replacement. And the studio thought that this, he was just wangling for more money. And he was basically saying, no, I just I don't want to work with this man. Yeah, He's yeah, a monster. Yeah. And um, Cornell Wilde joked that he ended up getting a huge raise in salary because the studio who, you know, the studio heads who thought money has to money must be the motive for everything sincerely believed that he was just wangling for a larger salary but he wasn't he just really wanted to get away from premature you know i didn't like that movie i thought yeah it was very leaden (laughs) yeah it was just it was uh, yeah vincent price uh, cornell it was kind of it was very heavy going yes um and it should have had a much lighter touch but you know if you're looking for a lighter touch out of preminger is not your man no but um you know it's an it was like a huge bestseller like gone with the wind and Mm -hmm. um yeah i could see how it would be coveted and so at that time her marriage is like over um she has to pay all that money Mm -hmm. Um, but not really because here it is after forever amber she does i think a letter to she does unfaithfully yours unfaithfully yours which i absolutely adore it's not that often but uh, maybe it's on youtube i'm not sure I'm not sure if that's on YouTube, but it's it's. Um, sometimes people will post a movie on YouTube and then the studio will pull it down like ten minutes later. So I know. It's like briefly, but um, that's why I never post. She was wonderful in that movie. I mean, she got a chance to really show off her comedy chops. She had off screen. She had a fantastic sense of humor, um, which I mean, if Ann Miller is your best friend, you're going to have a, you know. I can't imagine Ann Miller having a best friend who did not have a great sense of humor. Yeah, and Linda um, was down to earth. Yes. And um, so she finally got a chance to show off her comedy skills. Um, And this was another movie where she was not the first choice for the role. Carol Landis was the first choice. And her uh, her very stormy affair with with uh, Rex Harrison uh, caused her to drop out of the film and would be replaced by Linda. So this was yet another even now she's still she's still second choice for the for a lot of the movies that she's doing. Um, but she was wonderful in that. She was. And also, the movie's release was delayed after Carol took her own life. Right. Yeah, when he ended the affair. So the film yeah. did open, and audiences of critics rejected its stock offbeat humor, though it's since been embraced. And yeah. And then she does... And again, in the movie, um, Preston Sturgis absolutely adored Linda. And um, there's a there's a... There's a, an end. There's a part at the end where where um, uh, there's a line that goes, "A thousand poets dreamed for a thousand years, and then you were born, my love." And um, Preston Sturgis wrote that specifically for Linda Darnell. That's beautiful. He was inspired by her. And now, in 1949, this is my absolute favorite Linda. Oh yes. A Letter to Three Wives, which I saw a couple weeks ago, as Laura Mae Finney. She was fabulous. She's amazing in that movie. And she and, um, what's his name, Paul Douglas, they had really good chemistry. They did. I thought they were a riot. See, Paul Douglas is another one of my, this is is a piece that I actually intend to do at some point, which is a piece on unappreciated hotties. Oh, yes. There's something (laughs) so cute about him. Paul Douglas was such a hottie. Do you know who he was married to? Jan Sterling. Yes, and did you know? I didn't know this. You know, she always played Tootsies. She had that great voice. But she, um, 
she had came from a very wealthy family. I didn't know any of that. She was his fifth wife. Oh, dear. And he actually said after they were married, um, if you come up to the plate often enough, you're bound to end, you're bound to get a hit. <laughs> class, real class. <laughs> <laughs> and I love baseball, so I sort of appreciate the baseball romance metaphor going on there. Well, he was in that one, Angel in the Outfield. He was cute in that. Oh, he was adorable in that. So a letter to three wives is great. And it also has, it's directed by Man- Mankiewicz. Yes. Um, Linda comes from the literal wrong side of the tracks. Chugga, yes. chugga, I love this. I love the scenes <laughs> with the train, with the train rattling. The... And when he comes in with the refrigerator and he has to hold on to it. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, Joe Mankiewicz, when he, when he was a boy in New York, uh, they actually had the L train rattling overhead. So that he actually based, he took that from memory of, of having a train rattling, <laughs> rattling right outside. It's a riot. Just the it mom, is. who I love the, the character actress. I can't think of Oh, her. God, yes. And and, um, of course, Thelma Ritter. And it was just such a great movie. And it had Jean Crane, who, you know, she's she is a lovely-looking woman. And she can, do, she can do her acting. But she was not a really good actress. She kind of, to me, just in my eyes, she wasn't, a, you know, one of these. But she always was pleasant, you know. She yeah, was, she was she was sort of she was good at the sort of narrow range of roles that she right. played. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so she was in it along with Anne Southern. Anne Southern who I want to be my best friend in life. Yes. Anne Southern. I love her character in that movie so I much. Do too. But and I just I want I want I want to adopt her as my best friend. Yes. She was great and she did some later movies that were a riot. Lady in a Cage with Olivia de Havilland. She played like a groovy uh, landlord. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, she was great. But also um, in the movie, uh, I, what do you think about Kirk Douglas's character? I'm actually it's 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 funny because. I feel like there's there's this like there's this seething resentment right right under the surface that occasionally boils up about his wife's career and I'm always he always he always presents it in a way that he's he doesn't like the fact that she's selling out yet he's but living off I always get the feeling that he doesn't like the fact that she's working that he feels like attention is being taken away from him well he was horrible and, at that dinner party and other people cheer him yeah he was horrible he, he plays, was and, and he was completely unsupportive and, and you know we all have to we all have to mouth certain words yes at functions that that are that are important to our spouses but the first um, thing he did was play that stupid classical music Yes. Nobody could talk. Nobody. No, he was insufferable. He was just, but so many people love him. So I'm glad to hear you. you, I just, he was always the victim. Oh, I'm only a teacher. I'm only. Oh, shut up. (laughs) No, I think. I think. I think people. It's just sort of a relief to see Kirk Douglas in a role where he's not overpowering. You know, where he's where he's not overacting and clenching his teeth and. Spartacus. So that's sort of a refreshing change in Spartacus, that sense. Yeah. But he was he was insufferable and and he sort of it, on top of that, what made it worse is that he sort of masked masked his resentment toward his wife as, oh, you're just you're selling out your principles when in fact he just seemed to resent her. Period. He just resented her. He, he was know? not nicer. You know, no, what? he was not nice to her, and when, he was not. He didn't do the sort of stupid things that you're supposed to do 
to support your spouse. Exactly. Like you're saying, why do we have to have our pillows straight before the people come? Because it gets messed up. Because we do. Don't yeah. you do that on my couch? Yeah. If someone's coming everybody, over. Everybody's, everybody's house looks like they don't live in it when, when cost company comes over. <laughs> <laughs> it just that's, has like, to be That's what you one. do, you know. But what a nerve, you know, but I'm yeah. only a teacher. So I'm so glad you don't like that. But Lynn no, is great because she, she's amazing. She's got she's this, amazing. this sort of and, hard boiled, but she is so sensitive and well, that's, afraid that's the, to show who she really yes. is. She has that and, and that's, I mean, one of the things I love about, about that role and that I, I love when people do this generally in movies is that they don't try to make you like them. And she doesn't do anything to make you like her, but you love her. I love, she's just <laughs> you know? so lovable as is Paul Douglas. I love yes. the, you know, their part, you big gorilla. I love that. <laughs> yes. And it's funny because um, I was actually, I was looking at some of her, just, just sort of the body of work generally. And um, by the time she was, I think, I think by the time she was maybe 26 or something, um, the first, oh no, her first six years in movies, she'd been murdered six times. <laughs> In movie, in the movies. Wow. She was shot in Buffalo Bill and in My Darling Clementine. She was bludgeoned in Falling Angel. She was burned at the stake in Anna and the King of Siam. She was strangled in Hanover Square. And she was stabbed in Summer Storm. Oh, my. So it's funny because, and that was all before, by 1946. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's, you know. She's like that's 26 years old. You murdered all these times. You know, and then, and then it's funny because when she stopped being murdered in movies, <laughs> is when she sort of really started playing characters who really uh, were much more independent, you know, because we go from her being murdered six times to Forever Amber, where she totally owned the screen, uh, to Unfaithfully Yours, where she, you know, she drove, you know, Rex Harrison out of his mind, to A Letter to Three Wives, where she triumphantly announces, what I got don't need beads. I love that. I love <laughs> you know? that. And it's like, okay, she's finally stopping. She's no longer being murdered. And she's not a victim. And she's, she's not a victim anymore. She's really coming into her own, you know. Another thing with this is, uh, what am I thinking about? I'm getting, I'm blanking here with this. Um, okay, I blanked. But what you said is, oh, oh, this is what I remember. This is a little Tinseltone tidbit. I don't know if this is true. This isn't allegedly. You know, when she goes and, and then she says, that's it, Porter, I'm not coming here anymore, when she's at his house. Right. And, um, she sees a picture of Addie Ross. Yes, uh, yes, I know. Allegedly, yes. it's Otto Preminger's face. It was. Face. It was Otto Preminger. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. And that's that was what Man- that was one, of the, one of the ways Mangort's endeared himself to, uh, to Linda was putting out his book, when she gets a look of complete disgust. Yes, sneery <laughs> you. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, he did a great job with that. And I love what you say here, and that Linda wasn't even nominated for Oscar for a performance was criminal. Amen. They should have just dispensed with the ceremony and mailed the thing to her house. I totally agree. I mean, she was so wonderful. She was brilliant in that role. Both of them, Paul and her just were like clickety, click, click, click. It was just, they were just wonderful. Cause you know, like, you know, he's a stiff, you know, Mr. Rich guy, you know, he's a big stiff. Yeah. Kirk Douglas is a jerk. (laughs) And Porter is just Porter rich and kind of like, you know, and it's very, it's very hard to play a role, which, which, where you're playing it on two levels where, she's she's playing this very brittle 
I know what I'm after woman. Right. But, but that's not who she is in the movie. So she's, she's sort of, she's acting a part in the part, you right. know, she really is this sort of naive girl from the wrong side of the tracks who really can't really navigate the way she thinks she can, but she's playing a part in the movie where she's, you know, she's, she's putting on this act of being very, you know, very sophisticated and, you know, I, you know, I I know what I want. I know how to get it. And so it's, it's always to to sort of play a part like that on two levels is, is really, really hard. And she makes it look effortless. She does. And it's because in the end, when she's showing, when she finds out, he doesn't expect, Mm. I don't want to ruin the movie uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, but um, it's really good. And just showing that vulnerability in the last, you know, couple minutes in the movie after she hears something that's pretty (laughs) devastating. Exactly. Yet she's happy and she knows she's really loved. She knows he loves her and she can love him. I mean, there's... Yeah, I mean, there's never a harder time to be vulnerable than when someone has just kicked you in the teeth. Right. And she really has just gotten kicked in the teeth. She just heard that her husband was thinking of running away with another woman. He didn't, but he almost did. And rather than sort of put a wall up at that point and be be her most brittle Laura May, she takes the wall down completely. And it's, it's very touching. It is. It just makes me smile and, you know, you big gorilla Laura May, let's dance. That's when she calls him the big gorilla. But it's so yes. cute. And he, he smiles. And she's happy. And it just, for me, that's such a beautiful ending. It them. is. And it's, like you said, she should have won an Academy Award for that. Yeah. She was just amazing. Okay, so he never acknowledged their affair, Mankiewicz. No. As a lovely girl with terrifying personal problems. Yeah, he specialized in terrifying personal problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had an affair with Judy Garland when he she was only 20. He had an affair with Judy 20. Garland when she was at her most uh, nerve-wracked and, and, and vulnerable. Um, this is not someone who had a lot of scruples where women were concerned. No, he certainly Which is really didn't. strange because he wrote great parts for women. And it's almost as if he used his, he used his understanding of women really well in movies and really horribly in real life. He, t- he took that same insight into women that made his script so good and, you know, and used it against the women, women he actually in real knew. life, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so her last memorable film was Mankiewicz again. Yes. No Way Out with Richard Woodmark. He was so yes. horrible as a vicious racist. He was racist. horrible. And... My beloved Sidney Poitier. Yeah, he used to, Richard Woodmark used to apologize to, to Sidney Poitier between scenes because he felt so horrible. Uh, and he um, was a Richard Woodmark was a huge pie. progressive. Yeah, he was. He you know he had actually he you know he he was he was a very progressive and, and he's an outspoken progressive and, and a he nice, just felt nice horrible. Guy. He yeah. was a nice man. Yeah, uh-huh. I had the I had the privilege of meeting him and being hugged by him. Oh, you lucky duck! So, Can I touch I have, you? I haven't I haven't showered since then. I probably shouldn't say that because it was about twenty years ago. Oh but, my lord! You know, but people seem don't seem to mind. You know. I'm sure I, but they get used to it. It's like, did you ever see Berkeley Square? Where <laughs> yes, uh, uh, the first one with Heather Angel and Leslie Howard. And Leslie Howard, yes. And they're all talking about him. He's taking another bath. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like he smells. These people take yes. a bath like it once every two months. I thought that yes. was so funny. <laughs> oh my god. What does that stink? It's climbing. But one of the climbing. things, um, when uh, the time Richard Woodmark hugged me was actually at a, 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 a 
well, the Walter Reed Theater was showing a retrospective of his movies, and he came and introduced some of them. And um, one of them was No Way Out, and one of them was Slattery's Hurricane, which was also with Linda. And when he spoke about Linda, he just beamed. I mean, he was he was he spoke so lovingly of her and so fondly of her about about what a lovely person she was and and uh, and how sweet she was and how how talented she was. That it was just it gave you chills because you know when you hear somebody talk about someone who's sort of underappreciated. And this person clearly did appreciate them. It's just, it's just a wonderful feeling. I think I, I think people who acted with her, and you know, like you said, people who worked with her in all sorts of things, even the guys who opened the door for opened the gate. You know, she was a good person. She obviously she was. was a very good person, and she wasn't like some biatch. She was just a really good person. So she yeah. gets divorced. She gets re, she remarries two times. One right. to a. Uh, president of a brewery, ouch, mm-hmm. that lasts just about a year. And then later yeah. on, she marries a pilot, and that doesn't mm-hmm. last very long. But also, um, they drop her contract. And I believe at that time, Linda has been drinking more, and she's showing up, she's bloated, and she's gained weight, you know, yeah. um, alcohol weight. And I, yes. I saw the pictures where, you know, you could obviously see she was puffy from alcohol. Right. And they just dropped her contract in 52 and uh, right. she freelanced with little success mm-hmm. yeah it was very hard to freelance in those days because the studios the studio system was still sort of in effect yes and um unless you were someone like carrie grant um and you could pick and choose your own roles it was really difficult to freelance especially as, an, as especially for an actress she was um, retired at 29 they kicked her out yes. at 29 years old oh yes Lord. yeah Yes, so that's when she went to television and the stage. She acted in mm-hmm. the Children's Hours. Wow. Yes. You know what I find fascinating? That she uh, acted in Tea in Sympathy with a tw- opposite 20 year old Burt Reynolds. And she got yes. rave reviews, but who knew? Burt yes. worked with the. Worked with Linda Darnell. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. But she she was so good, and she, she never. She and never made. She made her money, but got ripped off by two men. The other guy uh-huh. ended up yeah. going to jail, but he never paid her back a cent. No, and um, she just had a very modest home. Yeah. and uh, the theater and TV paid the basic bills. She had her home foreclosed on. Her modest home. She didn't live in yeah. a mansion. No, and that was. I mean, that was. It's. I mean, again, this sort of shows the kind of person she was. Right. Um. She had she had this little house that she loved, and um, it was foreclosed upon. And you know, even as she was moving out of the house, she um, she taped the keys to where each room, you know, the key that belonged to each room. She wanted to make things as easy as possible for the next owner. And that's just, I mean, that kind of, I mean, who does that? You know what I mean? She was such a kind person. And her reward, I love this. The man who bought the house parked in the driveway, blocking the shaken actress exit while shrieking, I want to meet Linda Darnell. Yes. Charmer. Yes, no good deed goes unpunished in this case. (laughs) No, no, no. So she's working sporadically and um, we're getting to the very horrible part of tragic and of her, but um, why don't you get to that part? Well, she had had um, very, uh, Linda and Dick Curtis were very um, close friends of hers. or um, And she had she had known them for years. I mean, I'm sorry, Jean Curtis. Um, 
Jean Curtis was a very close friend of hers and, and a former secretary that she'd known for decades. And Jean used to take care of her finances and help her with her taxes. Jean's husband was an accountant. Uh, and so at one point when, when uh, Linda was preparing for a play near Chicago, which is where uh, Jean lived and she needed, she also brought all of her receipts and everything so she could have her taxes done. And they were sitting around the dining room table and, and working on her taxes. And, um, she was not drunk, which was another thing you hear all the time. That she, oh my I god, she was drunk and smoking. Mm-hmm. I'd heard that she was smoking. She was, you know, watching one of her movies and they, they turned it into this yeah. very maudlin thing, which it wasn't. Uh, kind I mean, of she was lurid, doing what's more mundane than doing your taxes. Yeah. I mean, she was yeah. doing her taxes. Um, and she was sitting at the table, and they were doing her taxes. And then late one night, uh, late that same night, they realized that um, Stardust was on, which was one of her first movies when she was 17 years old. And it was kind of like um, the uh, – it was kind of the Linda Darnell – it was slightly based on her story, except that her aunt in the movie who was who was in charge of her is much nicer than – Pearl was, <laughs> but Wasn't it was that? very similarly based on her. It was, you know, she comes to Hollywood she was beautiful. and she's discovered in a small town. And, Wasn't John yeah. Payne in it as well? He was a football yes. player or something. Yes. I saw that one only once. Yeah. And I just remembered how beautiful she was. And that's was. also on YouTube for anyone who wants to check out Stardust. I will check out uh, Stardust. Yeah. Because I have not that, seen it in years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. That's, an, that's another one you can binge on. So and, they watched um, it. So they watched it, and and um, Jean and her daughter Patty went upstairs to bed, and, and Linda was still downstairs. Um, no, to this day, no one knows how the fire started. Linda and Jean were both smokers. Uh, one of them or the other could have could have you know it could be a, a cigarette that wasn't quite stubbed out. To this, there was never an actual uh, official determination as right. to how the fire started. Uh, but start it did, uh, and. Uh, Jean and Patty were upstairs uh, on the second floor near Patty's bedroom. Uh, Jean, uh, Linda came upstairs to see what was, you know, to make sure that they were okay. They went out the second story window. They were urging her to go out the second story window as well. Um, and she was terrified. Poor baby. She went back downstairs thinking that she could go out the front door. Uh, but by the time she got to the front door, um, she couldn't get the latch up to the door open. And also, in the meantime, one of the neighbors had um, broken a front, broken a window downstairs to try to get access to the house and rescue people. And what that did was feed the fire. So the fire at that point blazed much more viciously than it had, than it had been doing previously. So she gets downstairs trying to open the door, and the fire just begins to rage around her. Um, she collapsed from smoke inhalation. And was burned over ninety percent of her body. That is so horrific. I mean, yeah. And why don't you tell the quote of she said two weeks before she died? Um. Oh yeah, the last, the last uh, when when she was uh, she was about giving Lola the kind of home yeah, security she, she, she never had. Yeah, she was talking. She was talking about talking about wanting to give Lola that that life that she didn't have, and she said. Um, life has been rough on me. I hope it doesn't end in tragedy. And this was just the last a, interview she gave just a few, a weeks, few weeks before she was killed. And she always had a lifetime fear of fire. She gets burned at the stake in that movie. and She, she got actually was burned yeah. in that movie. She yeah. was burned when she was burned at the stake. And she also was burned in um, Forever Amber. In Forever Amber when a house, the, the, the building that she was in fell on her. And then she was also... Uh, 
she was in a car accident where she was burned on her way to the set of uh, No Way Out. So she died two two days later. Yes. Yeah, she, she was regained consciousness only once briefly when Lola yeah, very arrived. briefly. Yeah. So she had a chance to say goodbye to her daughter, um, which is, you know, thank God for that. Thank God for, for very, very, in this case, extremely small blessings. But and she, it was a merciful thing that she died because yeah. 90% of your body, the horror of what she would have to endure. Yeah. How horrible for her. And, this, and how old was she, 40, 41? She was 41. This beautiful. I mean, most of her, ugh. yeah, most of her nerve endings at that point were were completely severed from this. From you know, they were the whatever like kind of life she would have had at that point would have would have been awful. Um, no life, and and just yeah. endless. They yeah, no, they do skin grafts. I mean, it. She just couldn't have made it, and yeah. it was uh, you know for the horror that it was. At least she didn't have to suffer that long, horrible thing that she just yeah. get out of that pain. Poor lady. Yeah. But she yeah. is amazing. She is. She and is she, amazing. And you are amazing, dear. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Dear sister. <laughs> and we <laughs> guess you. what? We got to an hour. You didn't think you were going to be able to do 30 minutes. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Like I'm, I'm, a big, I'm an even bigger chatterbox than I thought I was, which is hard to believe. <laughs> I love to yak, and you love to yak, so we're great. <laughs> I do. And we talk about classic film. Hey, man, what's better to yak about? So Absolutely. This is a lovely Janet, and I'm going to link you up to her fab, fab website, Sister Celluloid. She may even be your mystery date. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Open the door. Be your mystery if you love, date. If you love classic movies, I will be your mystery date. I will. <laughs> I love them. I do, too. You could be my mystery date, and we'll go out and we'll talk about classic films, have a glass exactly. of Exactly. Okay. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I did immensely. I hope you enjoyed this Dear Janet. Oh, I and absolutely did. It was I wonderful. Hope, I hope you come on again because you have so I many I will absolutely. People. Thank you so much for inviting me. You know who I want to talk about with you the next? Gail Russell. Oh, my goodness, yes. Could you do that? Some, some definite parallels there, too, with, yes, with Linda. Yes, exactly. And she, she breaks my heart. Her story breaks oh, my yes. heart big time. Yes. So you would do that. Fabulous. We'll have to find I absolutely it will. Okay, so thank you. I told you you'd be great. And I will link you up to her wonderful site, Sister Celluloid. And um, thank you guys for listening. And thank you, dear Mystery Date, Janet. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> okay, take care, everybody. Bye. To the stories of